going to jump right into it because we're going to cover, believe it or not, we're going to do Genesis 7, 8, and a portion of 9. We're going big tonight. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Micah will give you a Bible. Uh, The red ones are the larger print. None of you need a Bible, so never mind. Don't even worry about it. Follow Brett's example and bring your own Bible. Bring your own red Bible so you can actually read it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as me. My notes are in like 27 point font. So in case I want to take my glasses off because I don't like wearing them, then I can. But anyway, let's get uh, right into it. So just so you know, so you can prepare your feet, I'm going to read through seven, eight and the first 17 verses of nine. So you're going to be standing for, I timed myself today so I could give you an accurate estimate. You're going to be standing for five minutes while I read this. So take a deep breath. If anybody needs a glass of water before we jump into this exercise, why don't you stand with me for the reading of the word as we go through uh, Genesis seven. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark You and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Make a mental note of that at the very beginning. Take you seven pairs of clean animals, uh, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives went, uh, wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of the animals that are not clean and of the birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God has commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of heavens were of heavens were opened and the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and their and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kind and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went to the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. Verse 17, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heavens were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains covering them 15 cubits deep and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swimming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. 
He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed on the earth. A hundred and fifty days. Chapter eight. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heavens were closed and the rain of the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro unto the waters until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot and she returned to him to the ark for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days. And again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark and the dove came back to him in the evening and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove and she did not return to him anymore. In the 600th, in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your son's wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. that They may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out. And his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings to the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night shall not cease. Chapter nine. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hands. They are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything, but you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I'll require it. And from every man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning, a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. 
and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again there will be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Verse 14, we're almost there. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every, every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Oh, that's it. 17. We did it. Way to go. Let's pray before you guys sit down. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. And Lord, Right now, we declare and we understand that if we ended there, it would be enough that we know what is valuable here, what is true here. Lord, what we cherish here is not what comes from me personally, but Lord, it's your living word. And as we simply read your living word, Lord, we trust that you're changing us from the inside out, that it's profitable for us to read your word and you're expanding our faith as we read through your word. So Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you that you reveal yourself through your word. And we ask that you would help us tonight, Holy Spirit, as we dissect and open up your word and dive into it a little deeper together as a family. Holy Spirit, would you speak through me and the things that that you're saying? I I ask that you would make them loud and clear and articulate and the things that... uh, are from you are loud and clear and articulate Lord. And if there's anything from me, may it be forgotten quickly, but Lord, I, uh, right now I give you me as a vessel to be used. And I, I pray that you would anoint all of our ears, mine included, that we would be hearers of the word and be doers of the word as we, uh, dive in tonight as a family. We love you and praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Way to go guys. That's all. I think the longest I've read so far. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I can read. Um, so I miss you guys last week, but I had Rob, Pastor Rob, the ringer come in and fill in for me. So I'm sure you guys had a, a good week. Um, so I was sick, but before I got sick and I almost feel like maybe it added to me being sick. Um, so on Saturday I went to, uh, up to Ventura in the morning to meet up with some, so I used to, back in the day, I used to manage a surf shop in Santa Clarita, Bow Surf. So it's the one that they had in Valencia. So I worked there for a long time, a lot of good buddies there. And so some of them were volunteering at a surf therapy group that was taking out uh, some kids, like autistic kids, kids that are on the spectrum or really anything, kids that are suffering, and they take them out in the waves and they just tandem surf with them. And so I went out there just to uh, say hi and catch up with some friends. And so I go down and I, I'm thinking it's very uh, elite. Like these, these are like, they've trained, these guys have met, they have their whole system in place. And so I go down there and I end up knowing the, the guy who's running it. And I, I end up knowing more people than I thought. And then one guy's like, where's your suit? I was like, my wetsuit. So I was like, it's in the car. He's like, throw it on. 
So the next thing I know, I'm water safety. So I'm in the, I'm in the shallows just swimming, and you basically, uh, a guy takes a kid out on a board, and it happens to be, if you don't follow, which hardly any of you probably, besides Brett probably follow the surf, but last weekend, there was swell, so there was... <laughs> It was rather heavy to be taking kids out <laughs> in the waves, but they're doing it anyway. Everybody was really experienced. So what you do is you, you, you grab a kid, put a life jacket on them. They fit them with, they have a bunch of wetsuits there. They fit them with a wetsuit, put a life jacket on them. And then all the water safety, we all have bright green shirts. So you can see us. And so the, the, the point person paddles them out on a big board. And then there's a shadow surfer that surfs with them the whole time. So not to get into surf etiquette, but they block for them and, and whatnot. And so at first I'm starting on the inside. So I'm just some, somebody swimming on the inside that if this kid falls off and the shadow person can't get to him and the point person can't get to him, then I get to the kid and grab him and grab the board and, and all is good. So it went from not doing, not thinking I was going to do anything to where I have a suit on and I have a jersey on, I'm in the shallows, to where then... I'm shadowing the main guy. He needs somebody to go out with him. So I grab a board and I shadow him and I'm catching waves with, he has this, uh, he wasn't a small kid. He was probably like 130 pound, I don't know, 13, 14 year old. Uh, so he's not a small person to be like controlling out in the ocean. And so I'm shadowing them. And then next thing he goes, Hey, do you want to take Samuel on some waves? So I was like, Sure. So it was like immediately like throwing me to the wolves with not like a little kid that I can throw around, but like, okay, this is like teenager that, and it's heavy. So like you're, you're paddling for these waves and you have, you're moving so much weight that you can't get like, you can't get the wave when it's like this. You end up getting the wave when it's like this, right? So it's like, I have this 130 pound kid, like hanging on the front of the board so then as soon as we get it, I have to basically throw myself on the very back and drag and try to weigh the board down because it, it just wants to go straight down. And so then once we make that, then I have to slide back up, stand on my feet, and then wrestle this kid up to his feet. And it was a blast. It's exhausting, but a total blast. So I surfed with this kid, Samuel. We caught a couple really fun waves together. And then I went inside and put the board up. I think I got maybe a sip of water. And then one of the volunteers was like, Hey, she's just looking for a surf instructor. So she grabs me. She's like, Lindsay wants to go out. And it was a smaller girl, which I was so thankful. I was like, let's go. So like no rest. I'm still like breathing hard. And I put her on the front of the board and me and her surf for a while. And super fun. It's just a blast. And so I'm here with uh, a bunch of people. I knew a lot of people and there was a lot of people I didn't know. And I was so amazed and a bit humbled, to be honest with you. I was really humbled at how the friends that I knew were, aren't Christians. And I didn't go up to every single person and ask, like, who do you say Jesus is? So I can't say my perception wasn't, wasn't that there was a lot of believers there. But I was really humbled and amazed that this group of people who don't profess Christ as their savior are just out killing it, doing such awesome stuff for their community. And for these, uh, it's one thing to see the smiles of these, like these kids, you can see it's, it's surf therapy where you get them on a wave and they are 
so stoked. And some of them are nonverbal, so they can't communicate. Some of them can kind of talk, but I mean, it's the whole spectrum, but just to see the joy in their faces is one thing. And then it gets compounded when you go inside and then you, the parents are in on the beach, like taking pictures and you can see the joy in the parents of my kid is having fun where I'm sure there's so many times where the parents feel so hopeless. And I was just really humbled. I think humbled is really the right word is I was really humbled just thinking, being honest with myself and kind of going, man, I think, I think a lot of times I fall into that trap of that. We are, we have the moral high ground that we are just like better people in general. And it becomes like part of our thing. And I think in doing that, we, we run into some issues. And so as I was studying this, this, these chapters, this was the thing that was, was jumping out to me and it was granted an experience I had, but this was jumping out to me. And that's why in the, in the beginning of verse seven, when it says, and the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark and you and all your household for I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. I know last week, pastor Rob unpacked that a bit. Um, but I think that's why I wanted you to, to make a note of that. There's a few things that I, I want to point out as we go through seven and eight and part of nine. Um, but then ultimately it's going to tie back to this statement. So in your Bible or the Bible you borrowed that you can have, um, just mark that for, I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. That's why I even titled it Noah, a righteous man. And I think it's, a, uh, hopefully today we walk away being humbled and in doing so, it points us less to ourselves and more to the grace of God and how everything we have is from him. So we see in this that, that Noah and his family, we, we, I presume, which maybe I shouldn't, but that we have a general idea of the Noah and the ark story to where uh, it's raining, it's, it's, it's going to rain. He builds this ark. He has three sons. They go on the ark. And so we, we read through chapter seven, which is what I wanted to read through it. But that one nugget for I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And now I want to go all the way down to chapter eight. So seven is kind of the details of that. Feel free to read through that. And then we start with chapter eight, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. So right off the bat, what, what this isn't is not that God tells Noah to build an ark, tells his family to get on an ark, sends the flood, and then God goes and starts making dinner and forgets that, oh, Noah and the family, I forgot, they're floating on the earth. And it says God's re- remembered. That's not remembered how we think of it, that he had forgotten Noah and then he remembered. So when you, you see remembered, it's, it's the idea that the Lord there, that he is on the Lord's mind, that it's a, the idea of grace and mercy, that the Lord is thinking of Noah, that he is showing favor to Noah when it, so it says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him. So God is having favor on Noah that, that God is not far off, but he's close. That makes sense. So then right after that, it's still part of 
uh, it's built part of verse one. And this is something that we're going to now see uh, a literary design that happens through most of eight. And I think even a part of nine, it says, and God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. So we can read as I've been unpacking Genesis, I've been trying to tell like in certain spots, I've been trying to tell us that slow down this story. Sometimes stories are so familiar to us that we blaze through them, which is also why I want to just read through it. Cause I don't know when the last time any of us just read through the story of Noah and the ark. Cause we go, yeah, Noah got two of every animal went on the ark. The earth flooded it subsided and they came out. Right. So we slow down. There's something happening here that the author is pointing to. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. Does anybody want to take a stab at what that's pointing to? So what it's pointing to is Ruach, which is what, is that what you're about to say? So Genesis one, one, remember the earth, remember we, when we started this whole journey in Genesis, the earth was tohu vavohu. So it was wild and waste. It was water, right? It was a watery chaos. That's what we read in, in Genesis one. So now we have a watery chaos, right? Over the whole earth. And then we have, well, I'll get to that. We have this watery chaos over the whole earth. And then in Genesis one, also, what does it say is hovering over the water? The spirit of God, right? So wind and spirit, both are the word Ruach. So we've done this exercise. I have a microphone, but if you put your hand over your mouth and you say hello and you feel what you feel against your hand, everybody do it. So we all feel dumb together. Hello. So you feel your breath against that. That's your Ruach. So it's, it's wind, it's spirit. So we have in the beginning, this wild and waste, watery chaos, and the spirit is hovering over it. And then we also pointed to remember uh, in the New Testament, when Jesus is speaking to the storm and they say, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's pointing again. That one is pointing back. To, it's claiming his deity because it's pointing back to Genesis one saying that he is God. It's pointing back to that. He has control over the seas. So this is again, what the author is doing here is getting our minds back to Genesis. So you're going to see this a few times and I'm just going to keep pointing it out to you. And God made a wind. So Ruach, which is the same word in Genesis one for spirit. It's the same word here. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. And then we go through and the waters are, are ceasing. Um, Noah has all the, the animals on there and there's things to note through here. We're obviously, we're not going to be able to pack every little nugget that's in here. Um, but obviously Noah, there's no, there's nothing that indicates in here that Noah has some advanced navigation there's nothing to indicate that he knows what the plan is coming up. He heard from the Lord to build this boat and he builds this boat. And then what's interesting to me is that then he kind of has to figure stuff out and, and walk in faith, but faith doesn't mean turning our brains off. So he has to figure stuff out. So he's sending the Raven, he's sending the dove, right? So as God told him, build this boat, He's not sitting around waiting for God to speak audibly to him again. He's, he's doing 
logical things to try to figure out like what's, what's the will of the Lord here. And I think that is just a, a note to us that faith does not mean turning our brains off. Faith does not mean that we simply just blindly walk into things. But as we will uh, unpack through the rest of this faith is this confident trust in those things that we know, those things that we we tangibly know it's believing in those things. Faith is a substance, an actual thing. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence, the thing, the evidence of things unseen. So as we walk in faith, it doesn't mean that we simply turn our brains off. There's going to be a lot of times where our faith, uh, and I mean, I would almost argue all the time, our faith turns into tangible work. Um, is it in James? Where it's, uh, show me your faith, show me your faith without your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works that our faith produces action. And so we're seeing this through, uh, the story of Noah, that he is, he's producing action and the, and the way that the Lord is communicating with him isn't some consistent thing, but it's where he's still walking in the same faith. Does that all make sense? So then we get to verse 20 and we're going to camp out kind of through here for a bit. Um, and then Noah built an ark. So they, they come out of the ark and Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered a burnt offering to the altar. This just simply shows us, gives us a good example of the heart condition of Noah is that they get off this boat and what is the first thing that he does? What is the first recorded thing that he does is he worships the Lord. We see the same thing and I love it because it's uh, musical. And as a worship pastor, uh, that's my calling, but it's the same thing in Exodus when the Israelites are freed from the Egyptians and they cross the Red Sea on the other side, the first thing they do is they sing a song of praise to the Lord. And so this should be an example to us that through trial and understand Noah is living this. So we always have the benefit of scripture of reading a story and knowing where it's going, but it's like your trials are my trials. Say we're in when right. Probably all of us are in some sort of some degree of a trial. We don't know what tomorrow looks like. And so when we read Noah's story, we know what's happening, but understand for him, this every day is unknown. Every day is, he doesn't know. He doesn't have this written down of how his story plays out, but he's, he's walking this out. And even at this moment, they, I mean, imagine that, that you, you survive this big storm, but imagine walking off of a boat for the very first time to an empty world. When we, when I read it, it seems very like pleasant, like, yay, like it's the end of it. Like that's freaky. That's like horror movie stuff. Yeah. Like Armageddon. And all of a sudden, like you come out of the bunker and the whole earth is, there's no one there. It's really freaky. But what does he do? They don't panic. The first thing they do is let's worship the Lord for what he's, he's been faithful thus far. And so we're going to praise him for that. And then what happens in the next five minutes, the next 10 minutes, the next five days, the next five years, we'll take it as it comes, but let's worship him now for what he's done for us, which is what, how we should be continually worship him. Because look, we're all here. 
We're all alive. We've all been given today. We should praise him for it. And we'll praise him for him at the end of this, at the end of this service. Terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I was thinking of it. Uh, and then verse 21. And then the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. So he, he sees this aroma and then he, he basically, or he says, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. This is almost verbatim of the, his reasoning for bringing the flood that man is wicked from his youth. And so the Lord has seen that. Look, man is wicked, but I'm not going to do this again. And I'm going to bless the earth and he's going to, he's beginning this. We don't see it fully spelled out, but he's beginning this cosmic rescue mission. And he says, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night shall not cease. Again, this verse, verse 22, 822. If you're here for the Genesis, Genesis, we're still in Genesis. If you're here for the beginning, uh, creation story of Genesis, it culminated with this verse is also pointing back to Genesis when it says uh, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Those are referring to the days of creation in reverse. I don't have time to spell that all out. You can go on the website, hear that. But again, this is the author pointing us back to creation where we've seen, remember, as we've been unpacking Genesis, there's these stories that are happening but there's this overarching thread that we need to zoom out and see that thread. And that thread, that overarching plot is that as man has broken trust with God, stepped out from under his covering, the Lord has brought or, or chaos into order. And as we have stepped out from underneath that, we are going back to chaos. It is a downward, fast, fast downward spiral back to chaos to where the earth is flooded. Again, you have the imagery of the ark is like of Eden where the Lord is containing the, the whole earth is chaos tohu vavohu. And then they're containing him and this with the spirit, the Lord subsides the water. So it all should be making us think of Eden, bringing these images of Genesis one and part of two uh, back to our minds. And then God blessed Noah, uh, chapter nine. And then God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them again, as I read this, you should be thinking of something. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground of all the fish of the sea and your hands. They're delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So that points us right back to the charge to Adam, right? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So we see here that the charge hasn't changed. It's the same charge. We're still the image bearers of God. We still have the same marching orders. It's still part of our DNA and who we are as humanity being image bearers. Our job description hasn't changed. Even though we've stepped out in rebellion, our design is still the same. So we still have the same calling. It's now broken because we've, we've stepped out from underneath that covering, stepped out from underneath the authority of God. Um, and then verse four, but you shall not. Oh, and then the same thing that happens here is remember in Genesis, 
the Lord gave him everything and then said, here's one thing, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it. And then we remember that the servant, the serpent, how he tempted was to get the focus off of all that was given to him and get their focus on the very one thing they couldn't have. Right. Same thing is happening here. He's it's expanded. So besides just the plants, it's every living thing. You have everything for food, but here's a mandate. You can't kill. And I'm going to even hold the beast of the field, which this is just really interesting to me. I'm going to even hold the beast of the field accountable to destroying the image of God. As, as we read through this, the covenant includes animals. The Lord makes this covenant, not just with humanity, but with his created order. And he's even, he's not only going to hold humanity accountable for taking the life of an image bearer, but he's also going to hold uh, beasts accountable for taking the life of an image bearer. Super interesting. Um, let's go down to verse eight. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And like I just said, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark for it is, uh, it is for every beast of the earth. So I'm establishing a covenant with you and it's for everything, everything that came out of the ark with you. It's included in this covenant that I'm, that I'm laying out to you and keep in mind, uh, verse four, we kind of skip through it. Uh, I just explained it, but we didn't read it, but it, it gave the, it was the rules of this is what you can't do. Taking the life of an image bearer. And then directly following that is this is the covenant that I'm establishing with you. Keep that in the back of your mind. That's going to be important uh, in just a minute. I established my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud that it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Another really interesting fact I always have some kind of nerdy Hebrew thing that I try to bring into the sermon. And, and so this is it. The same word for rainbow in Hebrew is also the same word for bow as a weapon, right? So in um, ancient Near East, which we talked a lot more in the beginning part of Genesis, but in the ancient Near East, it was uh, common. There was, or there was a deity who was a warrior bow and arrow. And that's how he slayed his enemies. And so it's a, it was a common ancient near East concept, this bow and arrow as showing your dominion over something. And then we actually see, uh, glimpses of that in, uh, Habakkuk three, nine, where it's, uh, I think I have it here. Yep. Uh, you uncovered your bow and called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. So, Again, this is just an interesting side trail. So this is the same word used for rainbow and bow. And the imagery, if if you read some commentators, is that is the Lord taking judgment. So this particular form, he's not saying that he won't have judgment, but he's, he's making a covenant that this particular form in this bow, which we can say is a weapon, he's taking it and laying it up as a sign which is just really interesting. But uh, there's 
Well, I'll get to that part. I don't want to let that part go yet. And when I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters never again become a flood to destroy all the flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature for all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So, we might find it interesting, but if you read back through it, though we benefit from, we see a rainbow and we're reminded that the Lord's covenant with us, that he's not going to break this covenant. If we read through it, who is the rainbow for? Who is it to remind? Read it. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of the flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember my everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh. This is God talking. God's declaring. And then at the very end, he's specifically speaking to Noah uh, with a charge. But the Lord is saying, This is something that I'm going to see. And this is one of three main covenants that we see. One uh, signs of covenants. One is the Sabbath. We see that in uh, it's later in Genesis that the Sabbath is a sign of what the Lord has done through creation. And then the second one is the rainbow. That's the sign of the covenant that the Lord has redeemed that he is uh, beginning this rescue mission. And then the third, we're going to see later in Exodus is circumcision, which is a sign of uh, the birth of the Hebrew nation of the redemption. So we have these three main signs of covenants that the Lord is made with us that we benefit from. And then I told you to make a mental note of it, but it's really important to see that verses one through seven, which is what we are not to do happens first. And then eight through 17 comes after. So it's one through seven. This is what, this is what you are to do or what you are to not do. And then after that, totally unhinged from the first part is this is what I will do. And this is the beauty of covenants. And to bring it really full circle back to where we started, this is what humbles us and should cause us to think of the grace and the mercy of our Lord is that the Noah story. If we don't read it in context, it just seems really brutal that the Lord just wiped the earth and that there's this one guy who was just a really a morally good guy was all right, I'm going to save him, but I'm going to kill everybody else. But if we, if we take that out of context, that's how we read it. But if we read it through Genesis, it just screams mercy that the Lord has allowed humanity to even exist past the first sin that the Lord didn't completely blot out humanity, but he has been long suffering and patient showing grace and mercy over and over and over again. And we see that here in the flood story to where now we have Noah who the point of the story isn't that Noah had deserved 
what he was given, that he was this morally perfect character that deserved what he got. And it, as we, as we unpack it, it, it helps me. I hope it helps you that this isn't, that's not the bar that we're living up to. The bar isn't that we achieve perfection and through perfection, the Lord is saving us. If we go to Ephesians um, two and I'll read through it, but this is true for no, and it's true for us. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Noah's part of mankind, like the rest of mankind were ruined. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That it, so that in the coming age, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Noah, so that he can't even boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What's happening here is it's not Noah's moral superiority to the rest of the world at the time. At the very beginning, when I was saying that the Lord saw him as a righteous man in his generation, it's the same thing that saves you and I. Noah is before Christ, but all throughout scripture, we're all saved the same way. And it's through one thing by grace through faith. Noah simply had faith in the Lord. He had faith in God. And it was because of that. He was counted as righteous the same way that you and I are counted righteous by our faith, by simply submitting and stepping back underneath that covering. We have nothing to boast about. We have nothing to be arrogant about. We have nothing to view ourselves as this moral superior, moral high ground people, but that we are simply a people that have come back under the, the covering of our Lord. And because of that, the potential goes through the roof. When I was taking these kids out um, in these waves, they all are on different spectrums, right? They're, they're all on the spectrum and they all have different, some are nonverbal, some are verbal, some seem relatively normal and you can converse with them. But on the beach, well, the ones out in the water with me and the ones on the beach, there's really only one difference between all of them. And that one difference is faith. It's faith in me. The ones who have faith in me, they're not the more behaved kids. I wasn't going up to the kids and saying like, give me the most behaved because I'm already volunteering and I really don't want to deal with you kids. It was who wants to go in the ocean? Who's brave enough to go, Hey, I'll put my life in your hands. Like as a kid, 
I don't know you. I'll put my life in your hands and let's go out in that surf where all the surfers, like, let me, I want a piece of that. It's the kid who has faith that he's not morally better. I'm not picking him that way. It's, hey, who's, who's available? Who's going to totally trust me? Who's going to really just ride with it? And let's, let's see. It's, that's the difference of the kid in the water and the, and the kid on the beach. And the kid in the water, his potential is through the roof. He's going to catch waves. He's going to actually surf. Now, is it his skill level that's causing him to be able to surf, to be able to survive out there? It's not, right? His potential goes through the roof, not because he's morally superior, he's athletically superior, he's a better kid. His potential goes through the roof of what he can do because he's submitted to my authority out there and to like, I'm not God out in the ocean. (laughs) I, I can handle myself in the ocean and somebody else in the ocean, but by trusting in me, their potential has gone through the roof. They can do things far more than they ever would be able to do by themselves simply by submitting and trusting. And you know what? They don't do it perfectly. I'm grabbing, I'm where it's two people trying to paddle this huge board. They don't paddle at all. There are a lot of dead weight, but I'm not complaining about it. I'm just stoked that they're on the board, that they're trusting me, that they're in the game. And then at last minutes, we got to make balance adjustments and I'm grabbing their ankles and I'm yanking them down towards me or I'm grabbing their ankles and shoving up towards the front of the board and they roll with it. They're just being trusting they're having faith in me and their potential simply goes through the roof. And what's interesting to me is that I'm behind them and it's probably really freaky being them because not only do they not see, they have no idea of what's coming. I have every idea in the world of what we're going to encounter. I see the situations before they're happening. I can, I see it all. I surf all the time. So it's not a big deal. This is their first time out in the ocean. There's other surfers everywhere. Everybody's doing stuff. There's waves coming. It's not every wave is different. There's some waves that break over here. Some waves that break over here and they're not in the back. They're on the nose of this thing. Like they're out front. And then when we go to drop in on that wave, they're the one hanging over the edge looking like I'm about to dive right down into those rocks. They're the ones seeing that. But it's this faith of I'm behind you and you won't see it all the time. You're not going to understand it all the time, but I'm going to get you to your feet. It's going to happen. We are going to ride these waves. You are going to get to your feet and we drop in. And I grab them and, and yank them to their feet. And it's nothing that they're doing on their own. I think it, it correlates and it correlates really well in my mind. Hopefully it connects with you, but that's how I see Noah living this out. And what we can take away from it is that we're not called to be this morally superior people. I was humbled that day to see a lot of non-believers doing awesome stuff for mankind for broken families. I was humbled that why, why, why didn't I start something like this? Why don't I have my own thing? Uh, I'm happy to help out, but I, I was humbled. I was checked of like, why, why aren't I doing this? 
but it's so encouraging knowing that that God that lives inside of you, that lives inside of me is the one who's going to take our potential through the roof that we are not called to be this morally superior people, people. We are called to be these people who submit to the father, to have this faith as Noah did that as he went through this whole journey, he was not perfect. He was messing up. These kids weren't perfect. I'm pulling them all over the place. They can't swim. It's, it's, it's difficult, but it's the, it was the, some of the funnest waves I've ever ridden. And I believe our potential goes through the roof as we submit to the father. And we just say, standing on the shoreline, you know what? This is freaky. I'm scared of what you're calling me to, but I'm going to step out into it. And I trust, I trust you that you're not going to let me drown. You're going to take me into deep water. It's going to be scary at times, but I trust you. And I'm not going to be fearful because I trust that the, the creator of heaven and the earth that holds the universe in the span of his hand has me in his hand and he's going to work it all out. And we're going to see uh, immediately, even if already you're not convinced that Noah wasn't perfect, we're going to see next week immediately issues that Noah is a man and the calling for us as believers is not perfection, but is to be submitted. Remember that the initial fall in Genesis three at the core, the issue there was mistrust. It was saying, God, I don't trust you anymore. I'm stepping out and doing my own thing. That's what we said as humanity. And so remember that is this, that's this thing. That's this battle that's happening here in here all the time. We are to trust him. Like I said, stand at that shoreline and say, Hey, take me. And I'm a wreck. I'm a believer and I battle with sin daily. But Lord, this is what I want. Take me and cause me to walk in the good works that you've already prepared before me. And my hope is that as I walk in good works and you walk in good works specifically. I'm hoping that as I'm ministering to these autistic kids, that, that these other surf instructors are going to, are going to come to know the Lord because there's a hope in me besides simply, this is just, uh, you know, this is just chance. Some kids get sick and you know, there's nothing to explain it. And I don't have anything to tell these families to comfort them. Like we can surf and it's fun, but I don't have anything to really comfort them. I have a real hope in me. You guys have a real hope in you. That's beyond just, hey, sorry. Sorry you had an autistic kid who's hurting. I don't really know what to tell you. But hey, the Lord's going to use this for good. and He's going to empower you. We have a real hope inside of us. And it's because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.